one, two, three, four. Hey, you. You're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop, deep dive, where we discuss anything and... God, I'm about to do it again. Motherfucker. <laughs> one, two, three, four. <laughs> hey, you. You're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop, deep dive, where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Chris Murphy, Patrick Penland, Andrew Scott, and Jay Ferguson, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, man? I'm doing good. I just realized that the... um the marker that I was using to draw the X's on my hands, mm. it, it was magic marker and it wasn't Sharpie. So it's oh. it's already kind of rubbed off. So I might have to jump out in a minute here because we're talking about a topic today that is, uh, I think, very close to the hearts of at least all four of the Sloan guys and maybe mm-hmm. even to some of our listeners. We're, we're diving into the HFX and SHC, as it were. That's right. Uh, and into the hardcore influences of the band. Right, and who better to join us? Uh, for those out there who've who've come across perhaps the Where It Went podcast, uh, they're dissecting the Revolution Records discography in chronological order, which is amazing. Um, our guest on this episode is Greg Pollard. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right. It's Revelation. Did revolution. I say Revolution? Say revolu- yeah, that's fine. That's what I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> that's what, what I'm here for. That's revelation. what I'm here for. Thank you. Yeah, revol- and, Revolution and- Records, though, great label. I think there was a, there was a Revolution Records, wasn't there? I think DC Talk Run, yeah. <laughs> Revolution Run. Or, DC Talk Run that, well, they were like the Christian rap group, right? Uh, probably, DC yeah. Talk. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm doing doing all right. I've it's funny I've mentioned Sloan on uh on where it went before. Like we were just doing this random conversation about like our like white whales, like what we're looking for, mm. and I was like, yeah, I'm. You know, I'm, I've recently really took a deep dive on Sloan. I'm looking for records, and uh, I want to give a shout out Nick Vance, who will hopefully be listening to this. He's another hardcore guy. He was like, you know, gave me a deal on a bunch of Sloan vinyl. He's like, nice, you know, so- selling some of his records, and uh, so I have a nice little collection now. Not quite what you guys have. I've seen your stuff, but <laughs> I'm getting there. I have them all on CD though. Hey, great man. Whatever works. Well, I mean, walk us through, <clears throat> maybe you could do a quick intro just in terms of the podcasting that you're yeah. doing, a quick intro to those shows, and then we can maybe dive into how you came across Sloan, that whole story, and your thoughts about them. Sure. So, yeah, so the podcast, so I do two podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. One is called Something to Do, mm-hmm. and D-U with the umlaut. Um, right. I'm, an, I'm obsessed right. with uh, Husker Du and replacements. Amazing. And the whole, you know, that Minneapolis. like. That is my sweet spot of music, like the melody sure. and aggression. Hmm. And, you know, Sloan has that too, especially Absolutely. on some of the earlier stuff. And um, so I was doing that with a good buddy of mine. And then I was like, oh, this is pretty easy. And he, he you know, is a busy guy. And I was like, I was like, what if someone went through the Revelation Records catalog? Because I was thinking about this, you know, Revelation has been around since 1987 mm. and they started out with just putting out these like random, you know, not random, like these hardcore seven inches and then they evolved and like none the bands don't, you know, the stuff we're in now, like we're talking about bands from the nineties sound nothing like the early groups. Right. Um, and it's just this neat journey. And, um, another podcast that I love, uh, that was my biggest inspiration for doing it was, uh, you don't know Mojack. Uh, okay. Canadian, they're Canadian guys too. Hmm. Um, and 
they are doing the SST catalog. Okay. Oh, amazing. In chronological order. Now, they have their work cut out for them because there's, one, a ton of stuff on SST. And there's a ton of stuff that's just like, I don't know what, like, you know, Tom Tricoli's dog and Zoog's Rift and all these, like, weird things. And these guys are just, I loved the fact that they didn't have pretension. Like, I don't want to listen to a podcast where people sound like they're pretentious. Like that's right. not, I'm not about that life, you know? Mm. And, uh, I loved the way they, they handled it. So, you know, we did the podcast. It was originally me and Javier, a friend mm. of mine who lives in, uh, Southern California. And then we had another friend of mine, Jason, who was just doing graphics. And then we basically like, we're like, come on, come on the show. So it's the three of us. We've done, you know, we've got to interview a bunch of heavy hitters uh, we've been really lucky with, you know, who we've been able to talk to and uh, it's super fun. It's time consuming, but uh, it's nice, especially, you know, last year starting it when there was not much to do. Right. So yeah. it was a good year for podcasting, I guess. It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys started 2020 as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty much a year into this. We've uh, just sur- surpassed the one year point and you my friend are our first podcast collaboration so first of all congratulations thank um, you <laughs> speaking speaking of pr- pretension and uh and second of all we're, we're happy to have you here um it's it's a timely topic i think and uh i say that i say that probably every episode here but i'd love to get in before uh we start to talk about the music itself you know you, you got into sloan at a later point in life when was that and how did that happen? So, um, I remember, you know, you guys talked about like you, I remember you guys said you're second generation Sloan fans, mm. which would put me at like 20th generation. <laughs> so I knew about Sloan for probably about a decade around the time of these hardcore EPs, maybe okay. even a little before. Um, I have done a couple things here and there for big takeover magazine. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, and, uh, with a a friend of mine had invited me to, you know, a couple interviews and, you know, I just gotten to know, know Jack rabbit and Jack Mm -hmm. rabbit is a huge fan of Sloan. In fact, I'll throw out here. You guys need to get him on here. Okay. Um, And I'll, I'll, I, I can talk to him, but yeah, he's, he is like one of the biggest, like he's just been, you know, Sloan fan, from day one um and so i knew he liked him and another friend of mine um that i interviewed on something to do sal canestra he's a big fan and so it was always in my subconscious and i think one time when i was getting a bunch of mp3 files from a friend like Mm. sent me all the sloan stuff right and i listened i listened to twice removed my god this is really cool and then I like maybe one chord to another and, and I was kind of like, whatever. And there's, there's so much music out there, right? Like, you know, for you guys coming in at the second or third LP, it's way less overwhelming than being like, oh, they have 12 albums out. Right. Sure. Right. So a lot of times I'll see a band with a huge catalog. I'll just be like, no, this is not for me. I can't do it hmm. because I'm obsessive and I'll, you know, go through everything. Right. And something though, you know, and I, it's fitting. I do a podcast about a record label. And to me, record labels, I'm still from that mindset where they're important. Hmm. Um, 
and you know they they were on DGC right, right. in the beginning here sure. in the states and they were on DGC rarity so like that, mm. they've been in my subconscious for even longer than you know Jackrabbit and Sal yeah um cuz they they had the two Eric strip covers yeah. on that uh CD which yeah. I'm not going to lie and it made no imp- like I don't even know if I listened to it. I got it in 94 sure when I was 13 cuz of Sonic Youth and Nirvana and Weezer hmm. and because uh, at that point Weezer was like just starting so they hmm. were like you know re- that Jamie is on there that's right yeah. but they were always like Sloan I, I would get them confused which is so funny now like with like Cell and uh, even the Posies who I've also become obsessed sure. with the Posies yeah sure. I can see that though um, but just like kind of got them confused fast forward to you know several months ago earlier this year i was like you know what and i didn't even i just was like i need to buy some sloan records and i went on their site and i got twice removed and i got navy blues and the b-sides volume one okay fantastic starting and then that was that was it i was like voraciously finding i would find and i was like well if i can't get all the vinyl i'll get the cds so i bought the cds and I haven't gotten that into them and the posies. I was doing both. So my wallet wasn't very happy. Um, <laughs> but I was also working at this point like 60, 70 hours a week. Right. So I was like, well, this is at least keeping me from freaking, you know, jumping off a bridge. Right. And uh, <laughs> I just like started, you know, had read about Sloan and I found your podcast and I was like, oh, this is sick. And. Like the last time I got that into bands with a big catalog was probably like the replacements. Hmm. And that was wow. like 12 or 13 years ago. Right. Probably. And then before that, it was like the Beach Boys. Hmm. Like I got real into the Beach Boys um, hmm. in the early 2000s and just like digested yeah. all. So, so <laughs> that was what happened with, with Sloan. And then, of course, you know, I'd listened to Chris uh, Murphy on Damien from Fucked Up's podcast. Mm. Of course, um, yeah. Like, when that came out. Cause I, so I was enough into the band to listen to that. I was like, oh, I should listen. And their connection to hardcore is sort of fascinating to me on one mm. hand. But on the other hand, it, like, makes sense. And I can even hear it in what they do on the regular. And I've always said I truly think that the best bands since hard you know obviously the beatles weren't influenced by hardcore right or the beach mm. boys weren't influenced by hardcore but all the biggest best bands that i like come from that world mm. i mean think about it like you know you know i i love nirvana they came from hardcore punk dave grohl was For in sure. scream you yeah. know yeah. like even you know I'm, I'm trying to think of like any any big band like Raging Against the Machine, they came mm. from from hardcore. Uh, mm. Beastie Boys, Boy. yeah, Beastie Boys came from New York hardcore, and I think it informs something in these bands where it has them have a little bit more sincerity mm. and a little bit more urgency, and not seem as not seem like a put together thing. It was the last kind of honest statement of rock and roll, right? I mean, hip hop took over at about the same time. Hardcore and hip-hop develop at the same time, pretty much. You know, you make the case for hip-hop developing a couple of years earlier. Um, But it was the last pure statement 
of rock and roll since then there hasn't they haven't reinvented the wheel so this is the like this is the last sticking point i think for a lot of true rock bands yeah and and you know the idea as well being someone who you know i'm 40 years old i still sounds i still identify identify is that i still i still would call myself straight edge you know like um no no uh problems with that and seeing chris murphy say that he's straight edge was just super freaking cool to me because um i think a lot of people that you know and a lot of times these bands they come Hardcore is like a little phase and they take some stuff from it and then they move on. And, and while Sloan may have moved on musically, I think it's cool the ethos that they have. Um, the fact that, you know, from talking to you guys, um, listening to you guys rather, like they connect with their fans. You know, Chris talked about what would Ian Mackay do, right? On, right. That's mm-hmm. what he talked about on the with Damien from Fucked Up on yeah. Turned Out a Punk. He was like, what would Ian Mackay do? And to carry that from, you know, 1980, whatever, when he met him to now is, I mean, it's super admirable. And it just, it, it just makes me like the band more seeing that like, you know, and then I I guess they said Jay also doesn't drink. I don't know if he's, you know, I know he's not, he's the one that was like the, uh, he's like, yeah, hardcore is cool. Um, and we'll talk about on the covers thing because I have some thoughts on that too. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it just it was it was just cool, and it's funny because I should have known because on the DGC rarities, the Eric's trip cover, the um, whatever Stone's mother, yeah. yeah, smother, they make it like a seven second song with yeah. woes and everything, you know. <laughs> it's just they're just super, they're just super cool. Like I just I love when a band is consistently great, which is mm. rare. Mm. Um, and I love when they ha- can do all sorts of things, and they can do that. Right. Yeah. What I was going to say earlier was we mentioned uh, era uh, super guest Aaron Pinto, who's a fellow Jersey guy, uh, prior to recording. And his little take is if the Beatles lived through punk, if they stayed together and lived through the seventies and kept making records post-punk, you kind of have Sloan a little bit, you know, like there's elements of all that stuff in there. hundred um, percent. I heard him and, and say what, that and I was like, that's it. He had one other take that I didn't like, which was when he, when he said, uh, because we have people, the sky, we don't need pavement. I love pavement. <laughs> we can have both. But yeah, no, he, he's he's definitely he's definitely right about um about that because they they have that you know they have the Beatles sound, but mm. they also they come from punk. And there's something to say about the punk influence. I mean, like you were just talking about the punk ethos, you know, that that, that it obviously drives these guys. But it's as if I mean, for me, Sloan feel like a punk band in the way that they sort of kind of convey themselves a little bit the way that they carry themselves the fact that everything they do and have been doing for decades now is all diy um and even the sound too like i was listening to the songs again just to prepare for this episode and just the dryness of the drums and some of the original recordings and stuff are very similar to the way that their production sounds you know i mean uh, you know like you could confuse the production on an angry samoan song with like t-rex or something like sonically Mm -hmm. they're somewhat similar Oh yeah. Well, because yeah. those that and that's the thing I think that's the most, um, you know, because with doing the Where It Went podcast and Revelation, that's second wave of hardcore, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of guys 
I say guys because, you know, unfortunately it was like a male dominant, you know, it's hardcore yeah, sure. was a boys club. It sucks to say it, but it's true. You know, that's why it was awesome, like to have a band like Seven Seconds addressing it and uh, things like that. But, uh, you know, what we're talking about is the second wave. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that jump off hardcore. They're like, after 1986, I don't care. You know, and like, mm-hmm. I know Chris Murphy had said on Damien's podcast, he said something like, yeah, well, I like like 10 bands. There's like mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. hardcore punk bands that I love, but like he's, you know, he's not maybe this vast live, you know, doesn't have this vast, I don't want to say knowledge, but just doesn't maybe care about more right. than, you know, like he loves the DC stuff. Right. And, you know, that the Bad Religion and Angry Samoans and Seven Seconds sure, and the SoCal. stuff. But, yeah. but I think the first wave, what makes that maybe more interesting to some people is that they didn't have other hardcore bands to be influenced by. Right. You That's know, true. like they had like, you know, the 77 punk stuff and then rock and roll. And it was a counter statement. I mean, it was a true counter statement. I guess the second wave might have in many ways been a counter statement to the first wave, but the, the counter statement also stated that commercialism and anything surrounding that in the music production and music industry um is to be avoided and there i think you know we can't necessarily say that that's the ethos of of sloan and that has carried them through 30 years of moderate commercial success but um i i think that there are elements of that in their approach to putting out their records too right it's about the music and it's about authenticity and it isn't about even when they were at their commercial peak in canada um they were never those guys who were like all right let's the main thing is is that we're signing with a major uh and we're out on tv right they were about we want to own our catalog we want to be able to do what we want with our music uh and we want creative control uh and i think that there's certain certain aspects of the of the punk attitude uh right up until this day in in the way in which they approach music i mean murder records right like they well first off owning their own stuff was is a brilliant move yeah um i mean it's just it's a it's such a smart move what is uh, is the only one they don't own action-packed right no they own everything or they do own that too i think yeah action packed originally came out i think it was on bmg yeah Um, it was the one that sort of diverges slightly like in terms of a label like the original release is not a murder records imprint so i don't think it was a shared release Um, but i think these days i i would have to i'd have to double check i'm not sure but they should have the ability to re-release it at some point if they wanted to well they they i know they listen they listen (laughs) <laughs> they listen, so they can they can tell they can tell us. We'll check um, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they definitely and like Murder Records and helping out local bands, like they, you know, were putting out Seven Inches by uh, other, I guess Halifax bands. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's that's like that's was Discord. That was what Ian yeah. McKay did. Was like totally. putting out, you know, yeah. all other bands from DC. Um. Even things like having a, a uniform visual, like they had Catherine Stockhausen, who we've had as a guest, taking all of the band photos and everything was black and white. You know, things yeah. had a, a bit of an order to them. And, and even the, the the idea in the 90s of putting out seven inches nonstop, you know what I mean? Like seven yeah. inch records, which was not necessarily that popular at the time. So, yeah, it's, it's like I said, they, 
I look at the, that band Sloan like people, you know, who studied rock history. Mm. So they knew they know like every right move to make, even if it yeah. maybe doesn't mean that they're the most successful band like commercially. Right. They realize that that doesn't matter because they have fans like you guys who've been around for, you know, 20 some years that are going to, you know, see them every time, buy the records. Yep. And the music speaks for itself because it's all fantastic. Mm, I yep. can't think there's not many bands with 12 albums where there's not a dud. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, I mean, you know, I, I, REM is my favorite band, right? Right. Like, right. I'm not going to tell you that every record is fantastic. Right. Yeah. yeah. You get into, you get into not, reveal and it's like, mm. yeah, well, well that's, I think around the sun is the one that's like a real kind of like Left lukewarm, turn, yeah. you know what I mean? And reveals yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. at least Ken Stringfellow was on it. Oh, he's right. on around What's, the sun what, too. What was the last one called with uh, Mr. Richards and blanking? Uh, Living uh, Wealth. Oh, uh, Accelerate was great. Oh, yeah. that's a great album. I don't yeah. know. We just turned into an REM appreciation podcast. That, <laughs> yeah, that's to, uh... I'm about to turn the corner to Billy Joel because Billy Joel has 13, <laughs> 13 studio LPs out there. 14, if, I, I guess, if you count Cold Spring Harbor. But, um, you know, the last one, Serenades and whatever it's called, the classical album that he put out, is the only dud in the catalog from my perspective. So Sloan, as long as their next LP is at least as good as Billy Joel's worst LP, <laughs> then we're all good. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not uh, well, super well versed, but I mean, his his hits are undeniable, and uh, you know, I I can't I can't front, but yeah, I'm trying to think of a band with that many LPs. Sure. Um, you know, even like well, I have a you know Sonic Youth, like I love a lot of their stuff, but it's not like Slo- it's not like Sloan. No. There's really there's no. I mean, we talked about the Posies. Like I like all the Posies records, but I don't think they're they're all as consistently great as the Sloan catalog. Right. I, I think back to, to interviews that I've seen over the years, and there's a great one with Chris. I think it's Chris for when they're shooting the Lines You Men video in like 96. And he says, you know, the joke with them in terms of visuals is he and Jay get together and always just ask each other, what picture of the Rolling Stones do we want to look like? You know, hmm. uh, and hmm. when we, re- we interviewed Gregory McDonald recently, the fifth Beatle, as, as it were, and he was joking that in the studio, the conversation always is, how do we make this song sound like the Stones? You know, so they definitely, hmm. like you were saying earlier, have a vision to not only sound a certain way like their influences the music that they love but they set themselves up early on in their early 90s they probably looked at the landscape and saw you know if we want to have longevity what are the bands that we really like that had longevity and let's pattern ourselves in that regard um mm-hmm. and and i and i think they 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 sort of veer off from the stones when like ken just said a second ago sticking genres together that's where sloan are unique you know because the stones just sound like the stones and they really have maybe I want to be generous, three or four different colors in their palette, you know, like it's pretty, this it's pretty samey as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but with, with the guys in Sloan, because everybody's a writer and then there are four distinct voices and they jump through styles. I mean, ob- there are obvious standouts like uh, 2006, like HFX, NSHC, the song, but even uh, I remember hearing an interview with Chris when he talked about hearing or when good and everyone came out and he described it as like, Oh, it's like, it's like a punk song. It's like screaming solo. And it's like rough at the time. I, it didn't occur to me, but 
you know, that song, especially on that album, is like so unique and like just rocking and aggressive and stuff. It's not like, even two minutes. Like I think it like just yeah. it gets to like one fifty nine and then it gets yeah. to you know the With next like song. The, to extend it. Yeah. You got the intro and outro, and that's what kind of maybe tips it over the two minute mark. But mm. but uh, yeah, I mean, two minutes for music is their publishing company. You know, like so I love that. Yeah. Um. But so that was my you question to you: is people you got four people that are all great writers like that is that's i mean i can't think of any other band that has that because i don't want to like besmirch ringo star like, <laughs> they don't have a ringo star like yeah, that's no, like that's yeah. my like you know they don't even band, have they don't even have a george and i'm i'm you know i'm meaning that in the most generous way possible to george and olivia harrison <laughs> um they don't even have a george they have four mccartney's and lennon's Right, and I love like George is probably my favorite Beatle, but I I would have to agree like they have like all the guys are such strong writers, yeah. um, and I do wonder if that too plays into their longevity because they don't have to have one person or even two shouldering all the responsibility, um, and it keeps egos in check, um, but I can't think of another band with four incredible writers like i mm. love teenage fan club and, and yeah. until recently they had three great mm. writers true and uh and they have also a very solid catalog but um yeah it's it's crazy like you have a band where the drummer is a great songwriter the bass player is a great drummer <laughs> like, yeah. like that's that's <laughs> wild like that's mm. not like it's almost not fair to other bands right that they're that good yeah like because it's it's just ridiculous and then it's like i'm listening to the hardcore ep to to prep again and i'm like and then they can write two they wrote two great melodic fast hardcore songs right mm. yeah that's maybe a good a good turning point now for the discussion let's start with um with the with the vinyl with the seven inch um, I need first one. of all, complete package. Um, the impeccability with which they were able to reproduce the Minor Threat Salad Days EP cover uh, mm-hmm. with Patrick out front being Ian McKay and the skateboard <laughs> uh, is, it, first of all, that, that was my first impression of this release was just like, oh, they're, are they allowed to use the Salad Days EP? Oh, it's them. Yeah. I like, thought it was, was photoshopped. My... I was like, is this a deep fake? And I'm like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right? And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> so good. It's the real deal. And this is so 2013, we're two years out from the double cross. We're one year ahead of um of Commonwealth. And our first maybe re encounter with hardcore in in the Sloan recorded catalog was in 2006 with Never Hear the End of It and with uh, HFX and SHC. You could make an argument that living in the mass, uh, living with the masses, kind of segues into the hardcore reappearance. But um, during the lead up to "Never Hear the End of It," and Greg, you you were not around for that, but they released a series of thirty YouTube videos. Now, "Never See the End of It," in which they kind of profiled each of the tracks that would be coming onto the album, and uh, they showed Chris and Patrick in in their practice space 
And it was just, it, it seemed like a joke because Chris just told Patrick, hey, why don't we just go play some hardcore? And then Chris is on drums and Patrick's just riffing on HFX and SHC. Um, and that was all they showed. And there was, there were these whispers leading up to the album's release. There's going to be a, there's going to be a hardcore song on the album. And then you, I think a couple of weeks before the release, we saw the track list. HFX and SHC. And you knew. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I knew. knew looking at it. I was like, oh. And then I listened to it and I'm, holy shit. So it's not an authentic, you know, this would have, this wasn't a song that was written in 85 or something. Patrick came up with this. Um, it's a meta level description of, um, of their affinity to the genre, you know. And I remember years ago when our punk rock was none of their business. Now that we're older, still none of their business so it's you know they're they're 20 years past their hardcore prime but they're still at it um and i just the the sonic quality and the way they did it live that was for me the thing like i got fucking revved up when they played when they played when they started going into living with the masses because i knew like oh shit the transition is going to hit and they're going to dive into hfx and shc and I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm convinced they tried to take it faster and faster and faster as the <laughs> tour progressed and going into maybe some, some of the some of the tours afterwards. Um, so that was like the reappearance of hardcore in the recorded catalog for Sloan. Jenny, the the track leading off the seven inch, was conceived of in '88 uh, by Chris. It's about Jennifer Pierce, who was his girlfriend at the time. Uh, or possibly s- slightly before this, uh, later to be liaised, if I'm correct with Patrick, uh, and later member of Jail. Inspiration also for Underwhelmed with Fiona Hyatt, so there's that sort of string of uh, lyrical similarities. But um, this was reheated for a recording session in 2009, and it was done uh, then. So this was already in the bag for a couple of years. Jenny, for me, it's it sounds like they recorded it off the floor. It sounds like this is really done in a take. I'm not sure. Yeah. What do you guys think? And like just the intro, you know, this song goes out there. <laughs> like, like it's, well, because yeah, we could talk about the intro. So yeah, so so Chris is directly naming the guys in his band from the 80s, Spent. Spent. Uh, so this is Zombie, which is the other Chris Murphy, because at the time there were two of them. Uh, Steve McCullough and Gord Krieger. Uh, and so, and and Chris Murphy from Sloan made up Spent, and uh, I think could we confirm that's Chris is playing drums in Spent, or is he? Yeah, I, I heard some tracks. It was it was cool, um, but this sounds like yeah, it sounds like an authentic hardcore song, you know, like first yeah. wave hardcore, like, uh, and I I just I love I love it. It's a great song. It's totally awesome. And in terms of recording, like it to me sounds like it's at least two of them playing at the same time. But um, like I can imagine this is Chris on drums and Patrick on guitar kind of just getting the main body of the song done. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, not too sure. Like I, I definitely dream about all four guys and Greg or whatever in the studio just hit like playing everything in tandem. But I, yeah, I kind of have a sneaky suspicion that it's probably cobbled together. But uh, for it sure. sounds amazing. Are there sure. credits in the seven? Like so 
So it's Chris on drums on that one, you think? I don't think yeah, the the, the credits here, the Sloan credits are always just Sloan is J. Chris Patrick Andrew. Uh, they so never say break down who's playing what on where. Yeah, some of the earlier stuff does, but not in this case. Well, Rob, you're as a drummer, you're fairly good at piecing out um, Chris's and Andrew's styles. And I think, you know, being having obsessed over the music for, you know, whatever, 25 years, I can kind of do it too. I feel as though it's Chris drumming throughout the entire seven inch and, and cover EP. I don't think that Andrew's on drums anywhere here. Maybe forgive me Soper, but I'm I'm not I'm not one hundred percent confident in Would that. Would he play guitar then or do you think yeah. he just okay? I think he's probably on guitar on Gimme Soper, but I I have to listen to it again. It's certainly like I I think that for sure Patrick is contributing most of the guitars here. Mm. Um I like to think that this is a Patrick and Chris project primarily. I agree, and I think I mean because Jay has the one song in there. Uh, how many did? How many is Andrew doing? Is he doing the Angry Someone songs? He's got two. He's got Hot He's got Cars got and Give Me Soper. Hot Cars and Give Me Soper. So a total okay. of like a minute twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> Not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He so, actually, yeah, his two songs don't even equal Jay's one song. <laughs> yeah. Chris. So my understanding as you know, is that Chris and Patrick were kind of really entrenched in hardcore. Yeah. Jay yeah. was more like, Hey, I'm friends with Chris. He played me some of these records back in the day. And I think they're cool. Mm. Um, and then Andrew, I don't know where he stands. Did he come from a, that kind of background, the hardcore yeah. background? Well, Andrew, I mean, is kind of funny. He he seems to have the, I don't want to say the widest palette, but he seemed to be in quite a bit. He was a DJ, obviously, uh, in his earlier days, in his teen days, and especially when he went to NASCAD. But um, he talks in his episode with us about, I think, going to high school or junior high on a skateboard listening to, like, Pusshead compilations. Yeah. Um, so oh, wow. That like was... the uh, Pussmore or whatever the hell. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where he okay. was at. He, that, that would definitely informed his musical love. He was a huge, uh, like, British metal guy. Yeah. you know judas Priest and iron man and that kind of thing um but yeah i don't know that andrew was necessarily in any punk bands in the 80s whereas chris and patrick specifically you know chris was in whiteout and spent and you could argue that there are elements of carney lake road with jay that are punky ish yeah. you know yeah, yeah um, it's sort of a minutemen type i mean KL, right, klr exactly. is for me sort of the minutemen meets rush you know, there are elements of rush in there with these tempo changes and you yeah. have, you know, the three instruments sort of doing uh, interest, interesting cadence things together. So there's certainly the, the, like the, I like to think if you mixed Minutemen with the last, you know, minute of spirit of the radio, that's KLR <laughs> okay, and, and sprinkle in some, some chili peppers. Um, that's, that's for me. KLR. I remembered him talking on the podcast, uh, the turned out a punk. And saying they had like some like funk like, but again, you got to keep in mind back then the funk stuff was like you had the Minutemen, yeah. you had the the big boys from Austin, Texas, who mm. you know they predated the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, they did the punk funk thing, and then on the DC tip, you had uh, the band Beef Eater mm. uh, on Discord Records, who mm. also did the kind of punk funk thing right very well. I don't know yeah. if you listened to them, but uh. I had, a, check them out, I had yeah. a little sprawl out a few years ago through the Discord catalog just as a as an aside, but that does not make me the expert. So we'll be leaning on you heavily for the for the cover <laughs> segment. But maybe maybe to take this back to Jenny, um, and I'm not sure how much you guys want to get into the music uh, here because especially with the covers, like a lot of the a lot of the stuff is just sort of 
fuck you mom fuck you dad and that's the essence of the song but um <laughs> jenny i think is impressive in the sense that there it's a hardcore song there are elements of ballad lyric writing and elements of sort of that cleverness that we're getting in underwhelmed and in some of the earlier sloan tracks already here right so here's chris writing a hardcore song and like there are levels of the relationship that we're getting out in about a minute 30 yeah i think the cleverness has always been there i think it was on the murder records podcast about the early halifax scene where i believe it was his his band whiteout and he had written a song called suicide as an attention getter I, yeah, so, I hurt myself for attention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of been a part of Chris's palette, I think, from the very beginning. So yeah, especially spent and the early Carney Lake Road stuff, or all of the Carney Lake Road stuff, it has that quality. Like the lyrics are definitely thought about, and um, even as you get into Carney Lake Road, you know, a song like "Painting a Room," which is also played on that same podcast, there's like a Joni Mitchell quality in a way, where the catchiness of the song is the way that it's sung not necessarily like a hook you know what i mean like just the uh i'm trying to think of an example like in the chorus where he goes eh, that's okay too you know like it's like the chorus isn't necessarily the as catchy as underwhelmed or something but it's got like a joni mitchell kind of cadence to it so chris has got all of that happening in the 80s yeah the, i mean the, the cleverness of the lyrics that was another thing uh just in general with sloan hmm. i mean underwhelmed that's a hilarious that song's hilarious <laughs> and like not like yeah. weird like i love weird al but not like oh, weird al but just like super clever mm-hmm. um you know uh you know she said you is funny like the whole thing like correcting the grammar in the song saying like you know uh the whole thing about people people who don't eat meat mm-hmm. uh, or people who eat meat sorry uh saying i don't smoke or drink like, I don't know, the whole the whole song is just, like, funny, and you see that all through the catalog, and that's, like, I mean, if you think about it, that song is a lot of people's the first song they heard by them, because that was, yeah. like, in the States, right? Because yeah. mm. Underwhelmed was the single, um, and I wish I could say in 93 I remembered it, um, but I, I, I don't know if it, was, it wasn't played here like it was, I'm sure, where you, you all are For sure, are based. yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so... A little aside, but just yeah, the cleverness of the lyrics um, is one thing that's I I really enjoy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is uh, also one of the tie ties that binds maybe Chris's whole um, aesthetic since you know the first recording of his that we get to hear, which is "I Hurt Myself for Attention," is sort of it's sort of poking fun at music and it's sort of poking fun at the scene you know and and he's standing above it and kind of able to make fun of things but do it in a not super arrogant way do it in a likable way right that's kind of chris right yeah we've talked about him on the show as being like the shakespearean puck where in real life in interviews and in songs he's the narrator you know what i mean like he might be singing about something very specific that really happened or he's just you know he's taking over the, you know, he's, he's imagining something, but at all times he's constantly winking at you. Hmm. Um, and there's, so, yeah. there's some of that going on here too in Jenny, right? I mean, there's some of that in this whole, I don't care, you know, but the people that you know or what they do as though it's sort of this mafia thing, although it's really just his relationship with his 
with a circle of friends of his girlfriend. So I don't know. I, I like that. Um, I think that there are aspects of that here too. Right. Do we want to do we want to flip the side to uh, to the Patrick track? Or yeah. Frank, do you have anything else to say about Jenny? No, no. This is the this is like we do on where it went. We do the hot tracks. Yeah. Now, granted, this is a two song record, and no disrespect to side A, but this this is my hot track. There's a two step okay. part in it at the end. Yes. You know, like, yeah. Like it's it's this song is great. Go yeah. for it. Like dive dive in, man. Um, cause it just, it still sounds like Sloan. Like it sounds like, it sounds like Pat, you know, it's Patrick singing, but just, I just think, uh, it's got that hook, the hook. And then, like I said, how it slows down and you could, yeah. you could two step to it. It's um, about a 10 BPM <laughs> change there, right? Eh? It's about it. Like the, it, it's subtle enough that you don't notice it until you, until you're into it. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's the, that's like the classic hardcore punk yeah. move. Yeah. Yeah. To have I think that, it legit like, just goes straight into cut time. Like it goes yeah. half the sped the half the time yeah. the sped up part. Yeah. And, and again, it's just like you're like this song was written because I don't think this. I know Jenny was an old song, but I, I'm assuming this was written for that the was record. fresh. Yeah. yeah. It, so he had the music um, a couple of years before it was recorded, and he did the lyrics over. I mean, I mean Rob, we were talking about this before Greg joined in. He kind of had to figure out the lyrics over the course of a couple of years to get this out yeah i I recall chris or somebody at some point talking about how this one kind of had a longer gestation period like it it was eventually finally and i don't know what the finishing touches were uh whether they were sonically or lyrically or whatever but it was something that had been kind of kicking around for a while and then finally when it was done it was like as soon as it was finished okay here the seven inches ready to go like they were just basically waiting for the song to be completed so yeah so this i mean it's not a it's interesting because it's a chameleon of a song. Like for me, there are p- parts of it where I think, okay, it's it's this could have been '84 or something. Like this was maybe at the tail end of the first wave of hardcore. And there are other parts of it. Obviously, the recording quality betrays the the recency of 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 the composition as well. That it's sort of like actually set up to be recorded well. And there's separation between the channels, and there's separate. You can hear the guitars, you can hear the vocals, but. Um, there are parts of it where I think to myself, you know, maybe there are aspects of ripping convulsions that are coming in here and aspects of, you know, he talks about his friend, John Johnson, having that kind of a Daffy Duck voice when he was singing. And there's sort of that, you, which I kind of always picture now in the, in the Daffy Duck voice, but now um, I'm going to picture it. <laughs> you know, it's, I love this, this track. And I, you know, I don't want to do any disservice to the stuff that was put out um, before and after. It might be my favorite Patrick track since Never Hear the End of It. Like, wow. I love okay. this song. I it's, love it's this song. Yeah. yeah. You know, for the re- for the reasons that, that have already been mentioned, I think lyrically it's clever. And, you know, we've talked about this as well. There's some stuff out there on Parallel Play and on Commonwealth um, and on Hit and Run from, from Patrick where I'm not really feeling the lyrics. Like musically, he's just gotten more and more interesting over the course of the 30 years. And I think, we, you know, we've talked about this as well. He's stripped down a lot of the, ly- the lyrical content um, when he's approaching writing music nowadays. But there are some tracks out there where I'm just like, lyrically, this isn't really cutting it for me. It's in you. It's in me. It like just it's good that he took two years to come up with the words for this because it, it just hits the spot. Um, and it's it's attitude, but it's still kind of. It's still kind of Patrick, right? Um, the one thing that I want to mention here as well, 
vocally he sounds amazing like his vocals on on these recordings and when we get into the to the covers we can talk about this as well um when he's when his vocals are double tracked and he's singing punk music no offense to dexter holland you know i was a big offspring fan of 94 for sure um he sounds like dexter holland if dexter holland could sing better you know, like he takes he takes that voice and puts it up to the next level. I was gonna say I know we we Ken and I talked about that, and I said yeah, it's all, it's same thing with like um there's a band on there's a band on Revelation called Sense Field, um mm-hmm. and they existed in the nineties mm-hmm. and they actually got fairly big. They signed them like a major label after Revelation, and they were like lumped in with emo or post-hardcore. Right. And the singer, um, his name was John Bunch, and he uh, passed away about five years ago. And he did a band, actually most of them were in a band before Sensefield called Reason to Believe. And they were from Southern California. And a lot of people said like that and the first Offspring record which was just called The Offspring. They were both on yeah. this, actually released on the same record label, label out of California called Nemesis. Mm. And Patrick's voice reminded me too, a little bit of like the John Bunch, like in right. that Reason to Believe where, it, you know, it's got the grit, but still he can hit notes. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can picture myself doing an ollie to this music. That's like, I have a, a, a vignette film of myself and I'm, I'm not a skater, but I can just picture myself like, you know kind of cruising through the palm tree line streets of you know whatever north hollywood or something to this music like that's that's the type of imagery that i get it's very dc uh not dc <clears throat> very socal hardcore like it is very, yeah. sca- very skate punky um i can and, picture people uh, just piling on each other and singing along uh, <laughs> and like clamoring for a microphone um which did they did they do these songs live? Oh my god, that's a really good question. I don't think so. God, that is a good question. I <clears throat> I, I know that the the full the the, the covers for here and there, like I've I know they've done Gas Chamber live, live. I know uh, they've done the. I, I want to say that they have because there is a, a radio recording out there where they're hitting a couple of these. Really, um, the but, covers, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll have to I'll have to we'll have to do some check digging on that, but uh, I know yeah. for sure they've got them doing Gas Chamber Live um at some recorded must be some sort of event for a radio station or something. But mm. um yeah, in terms of Jenny and the Patrick song, I don't know if they've ever actually done those. That's a really good question. Let's figure That'd this be, out. That would be um, great. I mean, and and how cool would it be to see a show of just this? I mean, like or maybe like cuz these days the guys are so prolific, they're they open for themselves. They do usually a mm. set of like that the first set is like kind of the new album and then they take a break, come back and they do the greatest hits. Right. I was going to say they can do a a hardcore on, they could probably do it as encores so that they're not spent after that. And then, you know, do, but yeah, do a set of like, cause I would love to hear the cover. Yeah. Right. Pun intended Uh, (laughs) to hear the covers too. Dude, how cool would that be? Like, I mean, maybe we could get a third Sloan set, like, you know, like the the middle set is (laughs) them coming out. You know, and the whole set is just Andrew on bass and Chris on drums, and you know, I don't know, It'd be amazing. Sloan, when you come to Philly, do some hardcore songs. Happen. I'll help out. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know when they're in so, Philly too. They, 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 I don't know if Red Cross are Philly guys, but I recall there being some sort of meetup with them in Philly with the Red Cross guys. So I imagine those guys could be there. And I think a couple of them, or one or two of them, are in the off band. Um, but anyway. I love Red Cross. I actually been into them for uh, you know since the nineties. I think they might have toured together. In fact, I believe they're, are they thanked inside Navy Blues, is it? Yeah, and Red Cross, um, I, th- I can't recall the, the member, but one of the guys did the music for the Virgin Suicide soundtrack, and that's how they got hmm. everything you've done. Uh, yeah, and he, um, I want to say it's um, Brian Reitzel, who's no longer in Red Cross, but he did sure. the music also for um, the show Hannibal the, you oh, know, okay. from cool. a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, Red Cross are from California, but oh, okay. Milo from Descendants lives in Delaware. Hmm. So okay. when Sloan played Philly, apparently in like twenty, whenever I mean they've been like here so 11. many times that yeah. it like makes me want to just kick myself in the face for how many times I could have seen him, <laughs> even in the last ten years. Like even hmm. like if I and would have just kung like, fu necktie too, man. Yeah, like some cool clubs, small clubs. But Milo right. came out and they did uh, Catalina right. from this. And Milo uh, was interviewed in Big Takeover. And actually, there's a whole part where he's just talking about Sloan with Jack wow, Rabbit. I got I to gotta find that. If you have that yeah. issue, I got to find it. Yeah, let me find – I'll find what number issue it is. But uh, cool. Big Takeover <laughs> has them. But yeah, it's – it's uh, so I know they love they loved Descendants. And obviously, mm. that's a huge thing to have Milo totally. just there. Because actually, amazing. when I saw Red Cross at Kung Fu Necktie, Milo was also there. Oh, uh, amazing! This was in like 2013 or something. Um, but yeah, we'll talk I about digress. it when we get to the Descendants cover. But yeah, there's some great footage of Milo joining the guys in Philly playing Catalina on YouTube, and it is just amazing. Well, maybe that's a good uh, a good keyword to segue into the next bit of of our discussion today because we don't just have you know it would have sufficed for me at least in 2013 to have a fresh seven inch with two new sloan songs knowing there was an lp that was put out two years ago and there's going to be a double lp coming out next year but the guys were generous enough to say this is not enough let's go out and cover 12 classic hardcore songs from eight different artists uh record them and put them out as a digital release, uh, which is what they did. I think it was an iTunes extra, uh, Rob. I forget. I, I know I've had the audio files since then, so it must have. It, it Same, must have been yeah. ITunes. I had them, but I don't know because they're not on streaming. They're not on their Bandcamp either. Yeah, yeah. I, I recall. I mean, it, I think it might have been something that was available when you bought the seven inch because I definitely. That's what I think it, it was like a like download. A Maybe it was a download. Yeah. How do I have it? Yeah. How have I had it for ten years? I don't know, but or whatever. Not ten years. Osmosis so. or something. Yeah, like I just I have it, which yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. So the, for 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 me, the, the, the it could it could have really just been Chris and, and Patrick doing this and leading the charge, uh, but we have contributions from from Jay and Andrew as well. We have two Andrew tracks. Uh, and we have one J track. Does it make sense to go track through? To, uh, to Why not? Track Maybe we can speak to this? them. Yeah, we can speak to them. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Cool. So we lead off with Gas Chamber, the aforementioned Gas Chamber by Angry Samoans. Um, I We didn't mention this at the beginning of the podcast. Although we're going to sound as though we know a lot about this music, <laughs> Rob and I are not necessarily the born and bred hardcore fans. Um, you know, I myself had a span of about 
in in total maybe three years uh where i veered into certain certain genres of of hardcore and you know admittedly maybe one and a half or two of those three years were when i was 13 years old and listening to you know 90s hardcore no effects and 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 that kind of like what i was gonna say so more the more the punk stuff because see I hear 90s hardcore, and I don't know if anyone listening to, to this podcast is going to know these bands. For like, to me, 90s hardcore, I'm like, oh, like Earth Crisis. Right. For, and, yeah, no, uh, no, no, know, no. Like there was no thing. Earth Crisis in, in the suburbs of Ottawa, Ontario. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. T- did you guys have, uh, uh, there was a band from Canada, a hardcore band, Chokehold. I remember them. I don't know where hmm. they're from. And of course, Fucked Up, but they're later on. Yeah. Sure. Um, sure. But so yeah, we'll be. The hardcore stuff, it's funny because I will say we're starting, I'm not really starting off great because Angry Samoans, I don't, like, I don't know the originals, which may be heresy. Um, I've known of the band since, uh, God, there's, in Nirvana Bleach, you know, the famous picture of Kurt Cobain sprawled over the drum set. I just, you know, when you're a kid and you're studying that stuff, Hmm. there was a guy in the back and he's wearing an angry Samoan shirt. So like okay. I knew that and that was right. that's it. Like that's that's my knowledge of angry Samoans and I can tell these guys love them because they do three of the songs. Yeah, and my only reference point for angry Samoans cuz I grew up a wrestling kid is the 70s tag team the angry Samoans, which is where I assume this name came from. Yeah, I'm I'm but, thinking uh, so they're kids. They're <laughs> like 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 most of the scene. These are like 16-year-olds from I th- Hermosa Beach, or they're 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 from L.A. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you know, so these, these are speak, literal sixteen-year-olds. I can't speak too much to so. I'm like in looking at the track list, like I can't speak too much to Angry Samoans and the Nils. Now I know the but but like you said, I, we'll go track by track. I don't want to do anything, but I will say Gas Chamber, they do a great job. It sounds yeah. great. Uh, it's a great lead off. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean the. Again, I, I'm not going to delve into the content of the lyrics or anything for the covers per se, for the most part, because really, like I mentioned, it's pretty one-dimensional. But um, the what impresses me with the recordings is a they're obviously all better than the originals. Like if you if you lay the originals beside the the Sloan covers. I prefer to listen to the Sloan covers. It's the, sure the youthful dynamism, dynamism maybe isn't there quite as much. <laughs> you know, they're not throwing themselves around the studio, but um, it's it's a clearer recording. But what I notice is the vocal dexterity of especially Chris and Patrick, who are imitating several different hardcore singers here, and like we'll get to this when we get Chris doing. Um, uh, Keith Morris from Black Flag, the original Black Flag singer. Right. It's kind of vaudevillian. It's kind of like doing this sort of next level, uh, you know, hardcore voice. Uh, and you get this in Gas Chamber too. It's you know, Chris kind of really going up into the squealy territory uh, to get the, to get those. Yeah, like it was down kind of hard for me at times to find, to be like, who's doing that? Now there's certain ones I know, like Jay. Immediately, yeah. you know, hmm. like. Uh, it's Jay, but some of them I was like, "Is that Chris?" Or because they were doing something a little different than they normally do in yeah. their songs. Totally. And the same was for me. Like when I got into Sloan in the '90s, hearing that DGC rarities and listening to those Eric Strip covers, it wasn't immediately clear to me who was singing, especially uh, Stove. 
uh, or sorry, especially Smother, I should say, which is like the more hardcore sounding version of the song. Mm-hmm. Like who, who that Eric's person is trip, screaming. Eric's trip. Um, the song. So stove, I think they, they kind of kept that. Fairly it's pretty true faithful, to the original. But yep. but yeah. isn't Smother like they made it a hardcore song? Yeah. 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 The original isn't uh insane sounding. Like Because Eric's trip is basically lo fi, right? So Yeah. It's all it's all good. The other thing I want to mention too about Gas Chamber and, and a lot of these songs too, especially songs like Gas Chamber that have a lot of like there's some fills going on in there. And they mm-hmm. they're definitely I don't want to say I don't want to say limp wristed, but obviously whoever the original player is, they're a little younger, you know, they haven't had you know, three decades of maybe? finesse. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously Chris playing drums on this and he's playing, you know, the Chris Murphy fills in this, you know, yeah. like he's, he's, yeah. he's imprinted himself onto it in a way. And yeah. I really like that too. Like, so, cause obviously that's a huge draw for me and Sloan is just like the drums are insane. Cause you're a drum. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, you're a drummer. I would, yeah, I would no. have that. Yeah. You picked a great band. I have a to, huge to, bias. Like I said, I, I watched <laughs> videos. And I, you just watch Andrew, and I'm like in awe. Oh, and then I saw it's like, unreal. oh, he started playing drums six months before the band formed. <laughs> and you're like, it's it's, what? it's totally unfair. Yeah, yeah. You're but, like, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you were saying just... at the beginning, man, they're like an onion. You know, you get into the band, and then you're like, okay, the drummer is probably one of the best guitar players, questionably, you know. It's arguably the best guitar player in the band. You know, the bass player who also plays guitar is like the second best drummer of all time. Uh, you know, like it's just totally unfair. Everybody's a great yeah. songwriter. It's just insane. Save some rock for the rest of us. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but this is what we get here that, that what they lack in these cover recordings in terms of like, they're not actually 16 years old, you know, and they don't sound like they're, you know, rebelling against their parents or whatever. It's, you, they make up for in musical professionalism. So it's, you know, these are better sounding hardcore covers than a lot of the originals because they're just recorded so much better. There's so much clarity between channels. Like, and we'll get to this when we get to the to the Nils um to the Nils cover. But maybe we can move on. Um sure. F- the next one uh it should be, I think, for anybody who's grazed who scratched the surface on sort of the hardcore, the DC hardcore canon should be a track that we should be familiar with and is sort of a very Ian Mackay type of track in terms of you know these things religion and romance kind of kind of filler yeah like here's um, here's patrick coming at you i now minor threat i can speak to for hours we could do a minor we could do a pod because that band they changed my life literally Mm -hmm. i mean they when i heard the the out of step album which i know murphy's a fan of as well big time that blew my mind that was the record that truly brought me into the hardcore world. I heard Black Flag first, uh, the album My War, um, and I th- that's a great record. But it's not like traditional hardcore. You know, the first half of the record sort of is, and then the mm. second half is basically what inspired the Seattle scene. Mm. You know, yeah. like so you had like the s- slower, drudgy. Like, that's where like Melvins and all those bands that I, I love but hearing minor threat out of step like a light went off you know hearing the title track out of step but just all the lyrics and um the urgency i was like all right this is where this is where i belong this is what i'm into and so they do a really great cover of it they keep the urgency and the anger 
And, you know, Minor Threat, though, always had that little bit of melody. Like, yeah. they, you know, they weren't, it yeah. wasn't just noise. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that better, you know, with hardcore, it's weird. Like, because you don't always want stuff to be super, super slick. Yeah. And yeah. what I liked about this is that they didn't record it super slick. It yeah. still sounds, it has a rawness to it. Yeah. Um, but I'll argue that the Minor Threat recordings are excellent for being sure. four track for sure. recordings. Totally. Like yeah. they, you know, cause they did the stuff with, um, Don Zintara. He did yeah. almost all that discord stuff at, uh, inner ear studios, which actually this month is closing down after like 40 years or whatever, which is a Jesus. travesty. I think he's still going to record bands, but I mean, the stuff that's come out of that studio is like, you know, I mean, all the, every discord thing, you know, that yeah. that's covered here, the minor threat. I believe the gray matter was recorded there. Um, you know, just all this stuff was there. And that recording is really great, but I think that this stayed true to the original. And uh, I mean, filler is just such a great song. And, and for mm-hmm. a lot of people, that was the first minor threat song they heard. Cause right. it's on Lead the off. discography yeah. uh, CD, but see, for me, it wasn't, I didn't hear it until later. Cause I heard, I had the out of step cassette, but right. um, yeah, just, I mean, as soon as you hear those opening chords and the, you know, the bass and uh, it just gets you fired up. And I mean, Patrick doing, I, I, I think I said this as well in the uh, it's in you, it's in me analysis, but I love it when he screams. I love it when Patrick is getting up there and getting aggressive on the mic and he still has chops. Like he's, it doesn't sound like, non-musical screaming it sounds like right. musical screaming um so perfect choice for me to sing to sing this track i'm gonna add a little aside there um my favorite minor threat song was their cover of i'm not your stepping stone which uh was a monkey's you know thing yeah from, it was a single from whatever 68 and uh they do they do play a little bit with like the recording quality there where it starts in this really distant four track as though they're maybe recording even a mono take from a from a four track in the monitoring room or something uh and then it fades into a, a, a better fidelity so that's just an aside about my favorite minor threat uh song yeah what my my band uh my old band we were called one up discography out this fall on hell-minded records and uh <laughs> and when we did our, our album it's time to believe i remember being like we want the first song to have the stepping stone effect nice. where it sounds almost like you said like a little like transistor radio and yeah. it just yeah. bursts out yeah. but yeah, yeah that is a great cover i didn't i think and i didn't know it was a cover when i first got the minor thread i didn't know the monkeys oh, okay. version all at right. all um, i mean apparently that was like a like uh soa covered it as well Okay. which was uh, Henry Rollins, you know, before right, sure, Black yeah. Flag. Yeah. Yeah. Sex yeah. Pistols apparently covered it. Like, it was like a really kind of went around the punk. Like, 1-2-X-U, like The Wire. I will just step in here and say quickly that I'm also reminded as you're talking about a song that starts off one way and kind of slides into fidelity is we mentioned earlier about The Good and Everyone. It's got that crowd sound. It's sort of this punky intro. And then by the time that the, you know, he hits the drum fill and the, you slam into it, that song comes in and it's just like, Boom! Right in your face. Um, it's such a know, great so, technique to play with dynamics. Um, I yeah. think, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that song just starting with the you know the, the first part of where it kind of kicks in. It has to have that intro. So, but did anyway. you guys? Did you guys listen to Minor Threat 
because of knowing the connection to, to Sloan. Cause I know that's how I got into a lot of bands, even ones that are older is like, you know, I would, a band I would love would say, Hey, we're influenced by blah, 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 blah. Or was it just something like, did you, like, I know Ken, you said you were listening to like, so you're a couple years younger than me, but like when 94 hit, that was mm. when there was all that epitaph stuff was sure. like popular, the Punkorama comps. And- I was telling this to Rob before, before you joined in, like I had a buddy who uh, was r- really into hardcore and he's the same age as I am. So he had a, like an encyclopedic knowledge of the original DC hardcore um and probably some of the la stuff and maybe even some of the new york stuff when he was 13 years old i'm not sure where he got it from um he doesn't have older siblings or anything so matt if you're listening uh thank you for igniting the flame uh which has burned at a very low temperature for the last (laughs) whatever how many years but um, yeah because that's pre-internet he must have been reading fanzines or something i think he was into yeah i think he was into that um and his dad was kind of cool too so maybe there was some of some of that influence but anyways he got me into um he gave me a list of artists that i should get to know if uh if i want to be sort of legit into hardcore um, and he was straight edge. And I think that was maybe the the thing. And so he said hit the first artist on the list was minor threat. Um, and so I take this list to, out to CD warehouse in, in Nepean, Ontario. Uh, and I'm looking for all this stuff and I don't even know where to look. I'm like, okay, there, is there a punk section? And there was, and then there's like, okay, so there was the minor threat. Um, there was, I think it was maybe even the compilation that you were speaking about. Uh, and I got that and that was, um, that's about it. I mean, that's my that was. So it wasn't the I, Sloan connection that brought you to Minor Threat. That oh, right, like that was happy, the question. That's yeah. just like a well, happy mine was, coincidence. <clears throat> mine was Sloan in a kind of adjacent way. I had a girlfriend in the early two thousands, and we met because of Sloan, and she showed me the Minor Threat, the VHS that was out, uh, like that had DC Space and whatever the other yeah. show was, that compilation, and oh my god, seeing that, how do you not instantly just go, oh my god, who are these guys? What's going on? How can I hear more of this? Um, so I, my introduction was more of a visual thing, like kind of seeing the video of them live and stuff. Um, and I remember getting a copy of that and just like loving that. But it wasn't something where I went home and then just bought the whole discography. Like I was all over the place musically. But anyway, yeah, now, it wasn't yeah, through the, just to answer your question. The discography CD, I mean, I was I had been talking to Ken before. That has to be one of the, like, that's easily, like, I don't think Discord keeps up on that stuff, but it's definitely gone platinum. Like that, mm-hmm. that <laughs> has sold a million, like literally, I mean, you know, bands that like silver chair covered minor threat, right? You know, remember silver chair, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like their, their reach was so wide that like it sold a lot of copies. You know, same thing with, for, with the revelation catalog, like the gorilla biscuits start today mm-hmm. album mm-hmm. that has probably sold, I mean, at least 500,000. It's, massive right. you know it's like in right. the same yeah. usually uh we call them starter pack hardcore uh like we called them on where it went is like the gorilla biscuits start today and the minor threat discography that's right. like if you want to get like somebody into hardcore that's usually what i would send them off with like right you just reminded um, me i probably heard the song minor threat for the first time in 95 when silver chair covered it i got to admit that that's okay. a tough pill right. to swallow. Anyway, sorry. Well, maybe moving back to uh, to the covers, um, we're going to switch coats 
coasts my god it's early from we're moving from dc to la and back to the angry samoans for andrew's first uh, contribution to this record uh this is the song give me soper and uh, i had to look up what soper is i'm not sure if you guys had heard about <laughs> no this i was gonna before. ask because i at first i thought oh is this a typo on my because again no. I, I don't know i'm embarrassed to say like i don't know angry samoans no, well, I mean, ditto. And uh, Soper is a deep sleep that you're only able to break through uh, using strong stimuli, for example, pain. So, you know, there are mm. references here in the, in, in the lyrics to the person wanting to take pills and fall asleep and then have the world not bother him. Yeah, we have some interesting sort of Andrew, Chris, Patrick interchanges uh, in, in this song. But I like I like Andrew's voice on the two tracks that he does on this uh on this covers compilation i think that he's kind of got that the the husky necessities uh to do sort of a mature hardcore frontman voice what does which ones he does this one and what's the other one he's on okay yeah yeah. Which is a very Andrew sounding vocal, like his delivery there it could have been written by him as far as i'm concerned and i imagine nine one one part two Oh, it totally is. And that's another song that's, that's worth mentioning in this group, Emergency 911. That Andrew and the Andrew of Living with the Masses who just wants his neighbor to you know, cut his own hand off with a table saw um, is the spirit of this song as far as I'm concerned. Like It's that guy that's like, I got a neighbor and he's making noise and just get me to sleep. I'm going to be you know, grumpy while I'm sleeping. Hmm. Um, so I feel this is a, an appropriate cover for him. Well, I'm I'm gonna say that I I'm I'm gonna make my pledge that I will I'll have to listen to the Angry Samoans um, originals. But you know, see, that's the other thing I guess to to and you'll see with the stuff the bands that I do know the originals of. I was coming at it from the like straight edge uh, style, so that's why like obviously like anything on Discord, even if they weren't all straight edge, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Discord stuff, seven seconds, and then to a lesser extent because of black, you know, black flag and circle jerks, like that's where I was mm-hmm. coming. So to me, like angry Samoans, I guess in my head I thought, well, they're more punk, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm hardcore. I like hardcore. Mm-hmm. Now I can kind of see that it all sort of blends together in this first wave, but I think right. that's probably the reason I I was like, oh, they got a goofy name and they're just <laughs> punk. I'm I like hardcore. I like like you know the yeah. rigidness of it you just have to have visited both dc and california to understand why they're different right i mean i can totally understand what's going on you know like the weather is perfect all the time in fucking southern california so of course you're going to sing about surfing you know and going yeah. out in your boat and fucking off like that's it's going to be a lot more <laughs> laid back you know both musically and lyrically yeah yeah it's it's so it's like that stuff was not as much on my radar as like a minor threat so next track is a seven seconds cover uh done by chris the song bully uh seven seconds a band that i did not know uh reno nevada and the only two things that i've written here in my notes are whoa whoa all right let me see i was i was trying to be stealth here because i have a bin This, this is like my just in bin of lps oh nice there it is Seven seconds. Oh, hell yeah. Look at that. Seven seconds, the crew, um, which, uh, bully is, bully is on this record. And so is, 
um, the other the other cover. This is the angry. This album was just reissued by a label called Trust Records, Shit, and cool. they did such an incredible job. There's like a book inside, but Seven Seconds, oh, love them, just tops. But yeah, so so Seven Seconds, what a great cover. This is another band that immediately resonated with me um, because they're they were positive. Like the lyrics were uplifting, and they were, they they were they were uh, you know Kevin Seconds is one of these dudes like Ian Mackay who's just done everything by listening to his heart, and um, he's just one of the most sincere, sweet people. Um, and yeah, if people listening, the crew, and it's got melody. It's so mm. catchy. It's mm. like. A, a 18 song LP in like 24 minutes or something, but it right. is so insanely catchy. You will want to skateboard or whatever you do. Like <laughs> I can't say enough good things about seven seconds. Um, and th- I love that bully cover. I was wondering, I realized I was like, it would have been cool if they did a bad brains, like bad brains are my favorite yeah. hardcore band, you know? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they were just like, yeah, we can't touch that. Because the musicality is like, like, yeah. like I well, do wonder jazz, if they're just like, guys, right? yeah, they're like I wonder if they were just guys. like, you know what, like we're talented, but Bad Brains, I mean, that stuff is like, it's kind of hard to, co- like they're not an easy band to cover. No. They've got a level of musicianship that is, they're, they're, they're playing within the same spirit, obviously, and this is stuff that's been talked about, I'm sure, in books and on podcasts forever, but they're, they're in the same uh, generation in the same time period is that early hardcore stuff, but I mean they're just musically a completely different level. Yeah, well they're level. and they were like you know no bad brains, no minor threat. I right. can't speak to the the West Coast stuff was happening, but like East Coast hardcore, bad brains was is ground zero, and yeah. they were literally yeah. you know for people that may not know they were you know four black guys from D.C. They were playing like. Uh, kind of jazz fusion. They were into mm. stuff like Mahavishnu Orchestra and all that mm. stuff. And then one of their friends played them like the Ramones and the Dead Boys. And they were like, oh, this is cool. And then they just sped it up, but added these like this jazz kind of playing. And mm. I mean, you can trace every bit, like you can trace Nirvana back to Bad Brains. You can trace, mm. you know, Rage Against the Machine. Like we like. For sure. Every big band kind of can go back to them. So hmm. I, it would have been cool if they did a Bad Brain song, but I totally understand why they didn't. So <laughs> they did Seven Seconds, which is A-OK with me because I love Seven Seconds. The next one on our list here is, should we talk about Retrospect first? Yeah, we can talk about oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So, ret- so Jay... Jay is the wild card on this record. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to say, spoiler alert, this cover of Retrospect is my hot track. Wow. I okay. think it was, I think it was so, it's so, it's so, so Jay, because Gray Matter, so Gray Matter, um, you know, to give like a real high level, Gray Matter came from almost, you could almost consider them the third wave. Because there was the DC hardcore stuff. You had Minor Threat, SOA, The Faith, Void, Scream, uh, and all that. 
And then Grey Matter kind of rose from the ashes of a band. There was a band called Iron Cross that was on the Discord uh, Flex Your Head comp. And I think two of the members, if I recall correctly, it's Mark Haggerty and Dante Ferrando, or I think that's how you say his name. They did this band Grey Matter, but Grey Matter was a lot more melodic. Um, They had like some psychedelic influences, some Beatles influence. Um, and they were part of the whole revolution summer. Mm. So you had that stuff where after hardcore, it started to get really violent and there was attracting like, you know, just bad people, Nazis and things like that. So what the DC guys did is they said, all right, well, we're going to start our own thing. We're going to call it revolution summer and we're going to form these bands and we're going to do our own shows and, you know, whatever out with the old in with the new type thing. So that was where you had uh, Rites of Spring, which was Guy and Brendan from Fugazi before Fugazi. You had Embrace, which was Ian MacKay. Um, you had Grey Matter. You had Beef Eater. They were like the, the big ones. So I just loved that, like, it was like to get Jay, like, it totally makes sense that Jay would sing on a Grey Matter song because they and had mentioned- that Beatles influence. And uh, I think he does such a good job of it. Um, and it's like, I don't know if you guys like, could you pick favorite, like, I can't even pick like a favorite Sloan, like songwriter because they all have such great songs, but I do find yeah. myself just really being gravitating towards Jay's songs a lot. Hmm. Um, and maybe it was from that beach boys bender I got on 20 years ago. Like he kind of has that like quality, but it just, what a perfect, this is a perfect cover. And just to kind of tie Jay a little bit closer to the punk thing, I mean, I don't know how aware or into it he was in the 80s, but I mean, certainly in retrospect, I mean, he did his uh, virtual show early in earlier this year, and he was one of the questions was about, uh, I can't remember what, what question was posed, but he had a Bikini Kill album. And one of the people on the front of the cover of the album is wearing a junior, their shirt says Junior Panthers, which is where he got the title for the one chord song. Oh, it was Huggy Bear, um, I think, right? That's it. That's split yeah. with Huggy Bear. You're right. So, yeah. so, uh, so it's something that he's certainly aware of and something he certainly owns and appreciates, you know, so maybe. A yeah. And the Underwhelm video, that... in the Underwhelm video, he's wearing a Drive Like Jehu shirt. Um, there you go. I pay yeah. attention to t-shirts a lot. I'm a nerd. <laughs> and like. You know, Drive Like Jehu was like a post-hardcore type band from San Diego. It had right. uh, John Rice from Rocket from the Crypt. He was the guitar player. Fantastic band. But yeah, no, it's not like he does. Like he's not like some guy off the street. It's just you know he he's not like he wasn't in it in it like Chris. But I just think the Gray Matter. And I know I've heard interviews with him where he's like, yeah, got into that stuff, and Gray Matter just seemed to fit the best to his style. I would love to hear him do some descendants or like seven seconds. Cause I think totally do a great job. This even sounds like in Jave has gotten like a song like Cleopatra from, uh, you know, Commonwealth is very up tempo and very like immediate and rough. And, um, even songs like take good care of the poor boy and stuff like that from 99. Um, that spirit is in Jay. Like he's got the ability to go fast and get hard and, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, even a song like Retrospect, just even the way that it's sung and his sort of cadence, it sounds like a song that could be written by him, like in an, in an alternate universe or something. So. Agreed. Like, like if you like uh, slicked up the production a little bit, 
Like <laughs> totally. It could it could totally be a Jay song. What's funny is a lot of Jay's songs remind me. Now, when I say remind me, I mean because I heard this band first, but obviously they came after. And this may be a weird take, but I realized that the other day I was walking around and I was just poking around, listening to different songs in the Sloan catalog. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Saves the Day. Um, know the name, not super familiar with the songs and whatnot. But, yeah. So when they started out, they were like a melodic hardcore band. They, they uh, you know, the first couple records were like, you know, fast guitars, palm muting, but like a singer who could sing. Like right. he did melody. And then later he went into this like, you know, he he's a great songwriter and he went into like a Beatlesy phase where he's kind of been since, but still with like really, you know, crunchy guitars at times. And Jay's songs remind me of a lot of what I feel like Saves a Day are trying to go, like Take Good Care of the Poor Boy, um, that you said. With There's all like Witch's Wand is another one maybe from two thousand eight and Yes, uh, from, from uh, like I said. Parallel, uh and then Parallel um, Play. I'm yeah. looking up now. so yeah, songs like uh The Answer, The Answer Was You, Beverly mm. Terrace, uh totally. Come On Come On. They Saves a Day, like that sounds like the stuff that Chris Conley was trying to write on like in Reverie and later stuff, I thought really had J vibes that I didn't realize until retroactively, but now I'm like, oh, like I would love to ask, hey, are you a Sloan fan? Um, <laughs> which, as an aside, so, um, you know, one of the people that we've interviewed a couple times for where it went, because his band uh, is uh, has a catalog number for Revelation, uh, Jeff Caudle from the band Game Face, they're like a more melodic, mm-hmm. like power poppy, punk, like just definitely Descendants influence, but also I recognize like the indie- name. Yeah, yeah. Indie rock. He loves Sloan. So hopefully oh, cool. he uh he listens and maybe he has thoughts on uh like whether or not he can hear and saves a day. But yes, retrospect. Grey Matter, fantastic band. If you haven't listened to them, listen to uh the album this is on called Food for Thought, which was originally on a label. Um call i don't know what it was on it was late discord reissued it um and then the take it back ep uh is also great and uh i mean really everything they did they had an album a little later called thog that's good but those first two especially so yes so yeah and looking at the covers i'm looking at the rest of the tracks like the nils i just know they're from canada Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) it's a cool cover yeah, when we were when we were talking about this beforehand, I was like, okay, well, I don't, you know, you're the expert. I could talk a little bit about Minor Threat. Uh, I could, you know, Bad Religion. I forgot that when the covers dropped in 13 and I listened through, I adore this cover of Fountains. Um, I, I had heard the name The Nils before because Montreal and Ottawa, where I grew up, are, are pretty close together. And I think I might have heard when the lead singer, as you mentioned, passed away. And I think it was like 2004 or five. Anyways, uh, I went out uh, to Discogs and I got the EP off which is this is from and I forgot about it and I have it. Uh, so I re-listened to that. For me, this is the standout on the album. Yours is, is Retrospect. Um, for me it's the it's patrick doing fountains by the nils for a number of reasons i mean it's very 
the replacements e early the early replacements slash husker dewey in the sense that you know very melodic uh outro guitar solo like really high quality guitar solo and whimsical lyrics like this is an anti-establishment this is like remember when we were young and we had dreams you know they're kind of gone and that you know doing it twice i'm not sure if this is out there i think it's on, on youtube there's a you can get listen to the original on youtube but uh, do yourselves a favor and listen to the original of Fountains by the Nils and then listen to the Patrick version and let us know which version you think is better. They're, they're both great for, for various reasons. I, lo- I just love the, the backing harmonies in this. Um, you know, I, I love that they just it's just one verse basically that's repeated twice. For me, this is the absolute standout uh, on, on this particular compilation. And, and, it's, and it's recorded so well. Yeah, it's... Um... I know the Nils, I'd always heard they were kind of like, oh, they're like Canada's answer to the early replacements or who's could do. I'm pretty sure the aforementioned Jack Rabbit, uh, I think he's a big fan. I know some other fans. So that's another one I'll have to check out for sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, my, my standout is, uh, is the gray matter. I, you know, I, I, uh, I think it's just a neat because I feel like minor threat. You just don't hear. I've never heard another band cover Gray Matter. I've heard bands cover yeah. Seven Seconds. You know, you go to a hardcore show, at least in the '90s, and it was like you're going to hear a Minor Threat cover. You're going to hear a Seven Seconds cover. You're going to hear, you know, Black Flag or whatever. So I think it was just a neat left turn, like um, because again, of all these bands, Gray Matter's the one that are almost like second or third wave, rather. Because they're after the minor threats and everything. Maybe just a fun aside before we move on from the Nils, and I, I had to, you know, do a little bit of research for this episode, and I didn't know this, but the Sellout Young EP, which is the EP that I was referring to beforehand, off off which um, this this song is taken, was financed. The recording of it was financed by Ivan from Men Without Hats, uh, who was apparently. <laughs> buddies with yeah buddies with the guys from uh the nils and uh and was like you know this was their first kind of bigger release i guess uh and was kind of like here you know i want to take a chance on you so here's the money to go record this this ep with decent equipment uh and that was that so men without hats was was men without hats montreal they were montreal originally and uh they're they're out in victoria now but that's wild see i love complete complete yeah, uh, you know, genre mix up there, but uh, yeah, totally cool. We didn't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to miss them. We mentioned them earlier. Uh, the Descendants cover uh, Catalina. Um, oh, did we skip? We skipped. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I mean, we we talked enough about it earlier, but I mean, to, if there's anything else left to say, um, clearly, Chris. I mean, I think is the champion in the band for the Descendants. There's. So I think there was some pictures online a couple of years ago. Descendants played Young and Dundas Square here in Toronto. I want to say it was for like North Burn Northeast or some festival like that. And Murph was right at the front, uh, and it was so cool to see. I think he posted a picture. There was some video of him at the front, just mm-hmm. singing along to every word. And they are, you know, they are one of my all-time favorite bands, the Descendants. Um, like they're in the top 10 or five. Um, they're also very, you know, their new stuff is great. Um, they are actually another band that has four, not on the level of Sloan per se, because some are stronger than others. And I think they, you know, descendants would own up to that, but they're all good songwriters, um, in the band. Um, Bill Stevenson, the drummer, 
I mean, you have a drummer, you know, he was in Black Flag. Um, not the cover, you know, not the original right. era, but like, you know, the yeah. later. And I mean, you hear a song like Clean Sheets by Descendants, which is a little later than Catalina. And you're just like, that's like the blueprint for pop punk. Like, and you know, the, the whole oh, MTV man. era of pop punk. And I don't know if you ever saw the documentary Filmage. Yeah, we were just talking about that before we recorded. Okay, <laughs> did you see it? I love it. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite it's, documentaries. It, yeah, I've seen it's, it time. it's just so well Super done. Super inspiring. But he yeah. talks about how he wrote the song Clean Sheets. Right. He just woke up one day and that song was in his head. And like that's yep. how it came out. I love <laughs> stuff like that. But yeah, Descendants, they're the one I think I can most see in Sloan. Because Descendants were punk, but they were influenced by Beatles, Beach mm. Boys, and um, you know the 60s stuff like that. And uh, power pop, you know, there's a band that Descendants um, have championed. Have you ever heard of a band called The Last? No. They they were from Southern California, and um, they are like power poppy, you know, little punk. And they were like huge influence on Descendants. Yeah. Um, definitely check them out. They have an album. Their first album, L.A. Explosion, is really great you'll you'll dig it i think but um yeah that descendants covers great then they do another seven seconds one they do i want to say quickly about descendants too the other little sort of bridge between sloan and them as a band um that they have in common and and i think this is more so in the 90s but i think sloan for a while had a bit of i don't want to say a tag but they were sort of very visually anyway somewhat nerdy i guess like guys wearing glasses and stuff and so and in the same way that the descendants had milo as sort of this iconic figure you know because obviously the descendants go on to be all you know without milo with other various singers and i think the one disconnect between all and descendants is just that they don't have this one visual because milo is such an iconic figure and maybe it's the it's the bit of the nerdiness people can kind of relate to it a little bit more i think maybe that's the sort of thing that maybe made descendants a little more special in some people's yeah, eyes. Yeah, and like Weezer and Sloaner, took that, that way, to the bank. Yeah, totally. And Sloaner mm-hmm. that kind of, that way in a, in a sense too because they're, they're they have a very iconic visual. They're on the cover of all their own albums, you know what I mean? Like um so I, there's something at play there. I don't know if I've I've sort of made my thought had it I know exactly what you mean because you look at like the cover of I think Twice Removed is a good example. Sure. And you see like like that even that look I don't know if they would have not that they did it for Descendants, but I think Descendants kind of paved the way for it to be okay and cool to have a band mm. where you've got a dude on the front wearing, like, big glasses. Mm. You yeah, know what I'm totally. saying? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think, I mean, Catalina, the lyrics of that song are great. Mm. Um, totally. You know, it's just like, because Bill, and it's real, like Bill Stevenson, I think. That's I think him in the a, fishing boat. I think that's a Stevenson composition, and I apologize if it's not. It might be, it could be uh, Frank Nevada. I'm, I'm, I of course have to look it up because um, what kind of fan would I be? The late Frank Nevada. Um, I will uh, say too who, quickly while you're looking that up. The, the the cover of them on YouTube doing the song, because in the in the actual song they see throw my Beatles tape, put on my Beatles tape. And in the cover version, I thought they were saying "put on my Sloan tape," but now I'm looking at the official lyrics, and it's like, "Oh no, they're probably saying tape. they're that that or they're saying the Doors tape." I don't know. Doors. Don't know. Well, in the Descendants, they say uh, "put on my Beatles tape," and then my Doors tape. My Doors tape, right? Um, yeah, 
Well, anyway, in my head, I'm always saying put on my Sloan tape, but whatever. That's because well, I'm actually one the, doing that. That's that's one of the it's one of the reaffirming uh one of the one of the redeeming qualities of hardcore music is that sometimes you just can't understand the lyrics, so you get to make up your own. You so here's something that's enough, annoying. Yeah. By the way, I'm gonna throw this in the ether. Wikipedia lists all the different covers of like the album. They say, oh, this band did this and this and Catalina was covered by Black Train Jack, which it was. It was on a punk uprisings comp. Black Train Jack, cool band. Uh, their singer actually just passed away this year, Rob. He was a sweet guy. Um, and the Bronx, no mention of Sloan covering it, which is annoying. We're going to have to do and, some Wikipedia updating big time. Yeah, Catalina is a Lombardo, Tony Lombardo and uh, Bill Stevenson uh, song. And uh, yeah, so that a, might be it's one of the highlights on My Logos to College, um, for sure. Right on. Anyway, so we, we got to the nils. So we now circle back uh, to one of your bands there, Greg, seven seconds with This Is The Angry. Yeah, great. Great. And I know uh, Ken mentioned on the first one about the woes. <laughs> I remember there used to be a joke. It was, uh, why, why, do people draw O's on, why do people draw O's on their hands at seven second shows? <laughs> so they can remember the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Because they were the masters nice. that and I think I saw something where Kevin Second said they got that from like bands like Van Halen. Like to have these wow, like anthemic, okay. you know, whoa sure. that people can grab onto. But uh yeah. Not too much else to say about seven seconds other than this is a great cover. Mm-hmm. Um and then what's next? We got Hot, Hot Cars. cars. Hot which cars, we kinda already that's... talked about with Andrew, and it's a nice short little sweet composition this could be this could be an andrew song this could be an andrew song i never heard easily kind of rollicking the rollicking guitar lick yeah i could picture general attack andrew's first band just (laughs) cranking out hot cars into a four into a into like a tape recorder in their room absolutely and Um, then uh that kind of that kind of railroads right into wasted circle jerks i so this is you guys mentioned it was difficult to piece apart the voices this is the one case where i'm like oh i have to think uh, twice and maybe listen two or three times to really know is this patrick or chris because they're both kind of putting on a an act in in some of these songs and really doing like their their over-the-top impressions of the of the of the singers of keith morris who's actually the vocalist this is exactly yeah exactly so this is now patrick's take at keith morris and this is maybe a good jumping pad back to um back to the black flag track that we didn't talk about uh but nervous breakdown was chris's take on doing keith morris um which i find so interesting because he's really over the top like chris is really over the top trying to get this so nervous breakdown was the first black flag song on their first record and that's a hard song to, to replicate, and I think Sloan did a great job because Keith Morris legitimately sounds in that song like he's going to have a nervous breakdown. Like if Yeah, that out that outro. Like if if Keith Morris was like a a young guy in therapy back in nineteen seventy eight or whatever, right? Yeah. And he you know, after his appointment, the therapist is like, Oh wow, and he, he says, Well here, here's the record I just recorded. And he leaves. That therapist is going to be like, put that on and hear that song and be like, oh man, I 
did not do my job because this guy sounds like he's going to fucking, you know, just explode. And I think Chris did a really good job of capturing that vibe because it's, it's a tough, I've heard bands cover nervous breakdown and it's like, they miss the point. They almost do it too tight. Like it still has this like swing to it. Mm. And, uh, just a classic song. The lyrics are great. Um, Keith Morris is like one of the all time, you know, vocalists for that style. You're making me think of my favorite scene in that American hardcore documentary where Keith at the very beginning talks about, you know, the scene coming along and he goes, the scene was just like a, and he motions with his hand, like pushing the plunger on an explosion. And they, they insert the sound of just like kaboom, you know? Yes. Yeah. This song just explodes. Yeah. uh, That's a great documentary too, for people that if they, you know, I think people listening, if you want a little taste of the, what the first the first wave to kind of see where Sloan Sloan's influences come from. That's a good yeah. one. And then uh salad days about the DC scene right. is also a good For one. Sure. But, um, yeah. A lot of these, yeah. Wasted's cool. Like there. So, it, you know, what a interesting story that like black flag does nervous breakdown. They part ways with Keith Morris. So he forms circle jerks. Circle like jerks, all yeah. these last three songs tie together because he forms circle jerks, which has Greg Hetson on guitar. Uh, Greg Hetson had, I think, played on originally in Red Cross, like mm-hmm. in the very beginning, him and Ron Reyes, who ended up taking Keith Morris's place in Black Flag. If you can get that straight. But Greg Hetson also ended up joining Bad Religion um, mm-hmm. later on, right. not not on, uh, you know, the first record. But um, right. yeah, the, the Circle Jerks cover is great. They're another one that I think is tough to cover. Um, and capture it and Sloan, you know, like we said, Patrick, um, did a great job on that. And then they end it with the bad religion. We're only going to die. Um, and it's a great cover. (laughs) Like they do, you know, bad religion ended up getting a lot more melodic. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with bad religion. Do you ever hear the album after this, after, Um. uh, how could hell be any worse? It's, it's, they, they try to erase it from existence. Okay. It's called into the unknown. Okay. And there's like, um, keyboards on it. And, um, like, it's really weird, like prog rock. And like, apparently it came out and then like, it did so poorly. And they like, cause I think the bass player had left, they got someone else on bass. So then they came back with a record called back back from the known or something. And then of course in 88, they did an album called suffer. And that's Mm. like peak bad religion, like suffer no control against the grain. So like, they're the ones I actually prefer to this first album, but the first album has got some great songs and we're only going to die. Sloan do a good job. And I like it better than the biohazard cover of it. Right. it's it's also it's also kind of anthemic in the way that it's built up you know and that that sort of echoing chorus that that does the outro of the of the the song and you know it's the longest track on this compilation at a whopping i think 220 or something but it's it's an epic it's epic for hardcore standards and it's again sort of a, a, a sort of a winky eye statement from chris at the scene and the genre 
and ending your hardcore compilation album with a song called we're only gonna die by bad religion i think is you you couldn't end it with another song bad religion's a band too that's still endured i mean they're still putting out records yeah um and actually their guitar player for the last god 27 28 years now is brian baker Hmm. who played minor threat and dag nasty and also here i mean you in this song i think you notice how well seasoned the band is all the tempo changes and stuff they're like they're mastering those tempo changes like easy peasy it doesn't have that fluttered feel that i think some of the some of the originals might have had so you can argue over what you like more because you know the the hardcore hardcore listener would say it's all about authenticity it's all about energy and it's all about the the statement the casual hardcore listener slash sloan fan might say it's really cool hearing these tracks from a 2013 perspective uh from a band that's been been at this for at that point in time 25 years basically these are guys in their mid-40s covering songs written by teenagers and recorded by teenagers 35 you know 30 to 35 years prior yeah so and that they pulled it off i mean they pulled it off beautifully and i my thought now is we're eight years on from this wouldn't it be awesome to have this on vinyl it's 18 minutes so you can probably press it on a a 12 inch format yeah that was my dream was like but but put put jenny and uh you know the uh, it's in you, it's in me. It's in you, it's in yeah. me. Why am yeah. I stuttering there? Uh, put that on there too, but yeah. like I think my iTunes says that the whole thing is like 22 minutes. So, I mean, that'll Perfect. definitely fit. It could be like 45 it. RPM too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that would be cool. I, I always, I would love, these these covers need to get out there more yeah. for yeah. people to hear. Um and I and hopefully get people into these bands. Like Absolutely. my my takeaway would be, hey, it, it like it's a it's Sloan tipping the hat to their influences, and if it gets somebody into hardcore, I'm you know I'm psyched. I I, I would love to you know get more people into Minor Threat and Gray Matter and Seven Seconds and uh, Descendants and and all that stuff. Um, I want to. I, I want to quickly tip my hat too. Sorry, Greg. While we're talking about getting people into that style, um, obviously this compilation is doing that. You know, with the beloved band kind of covering their favorites. But there's a great YouTube channel. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's called Atlantic Canada Punk, and they've got um, tons of Sloan-related stuff there. Bands that were contemporaries and who influenced them. Jellyfish Babies are there. The band that famously went to high school with Chris. Um, the Out of the Fog compilation is there. There is even the self-titled Carney Lake Road album is there uh, with Chris and Jay. Donner Party Reunion is on there. Just uh, tons of bands that I've I've heard of over the years but haven't really dug on. Um, there are uploads of cassettes, live shows from the 80s and 90s. So that's a it's a oh, great nice. uh, resource. Uh, so yeah, I'll mention it again. They're Atlantic Canada Punk on YouTube. Tons of content there. That might be a great place to wrap it up. Greg, again, thank you so much, sir, for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And uh, yeah, let's absolutely have you back. I would love to do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I only scratched the surface. And uh... 
Which, you know, funny you say that, I think Ken mentioned that earlier on uh, Sloan 13, it's very possible that the single, the first single will be called Scratch the Surface. So. Really? <laughs> yeah, Patrick Honestly, on his episode a... had kind of predicted that would be the single. So we'll see. We'll see where, where, where we're at in a year's time. Uh, but yeah, if you don't mind mentioning quickly again, man, mention the podcast where people can find you online. Yeah, so, um, you know, Instagram, I just go by my name, Greg Pollard. Uh, and then I have something to do, which you can find on Instagram, something with no G to DU, um, to keep it in the DGC, um, world. We recently did an interview with Ken Stringfellow okay. of oh, the amazing wow. band, the Posies, um, yeah. uh, talked to him about who's screw and the replacements. Um, and then I have where it went podcast, which is my main gig. Uh, and that is where we go through the Revelation Records catalog from beginning to end. We take a lot of detours. We talk a lot of trash. Now, we actually don't talk trash. We try not to. But <laughs> we just kind of talk trash to each other, you know, banter. Um, but if you want to learn about this this kind of the second wave of hardcore, um, definitely check it out. All those New York bands um, and, you know, California bands from from that late 80s era are super important to me. And I think if you like Minor Threat, if you like Seven mm-hmm. Seconds, I, I think, you know, maybe check out like Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, um, you know, some of these bigger Revelation bands you might enjoy. And I, I'll be honest with you, like I said earlier, I'm not even really a Revelation guy, um, but listen, I've, I've heard a few episodes and it's just super listenable even for people mm-hmm. who aren't super familiar with the music um so i would definitely encourage people to check it out i plan on doing my own podcast coming up uh talking about revolution records i'll be talking <laughs> about dc talk and all those great bands the newsboys from the early 90s so check that out that's coming up but anyway greg thank you again sir it was a pleasure an absolute you, pleasure John. we'll have you back for sure man anytime yes and uh yeah other than that listener awesome. we do hope that you enjoyed this episode we'll catch you next time down the road on Sloancast. Have a great one. Keep Sloan. See you. Bye-bye.